I'm blessed um, to be here with you, uh, with my wife. I'm sorry you don't get to see the faces of my beautiful boys. Um, as I said in the first service, I am, I am so glad uh, to be um, both a husband and a dad. And uh, any glad dads here today? No, I'm just telling you what, I, um, I, my wife and I got married and we kept telling people, you know, they, they were saying, well, congratulations, it's great to be married and you're going to love it. And we're like, y'all need to talk about that a whole lot sooner because I waited until I was a little older to get married. And, and, and then we got the kids and, and people were like, isn't it great to be a, a parent? And I'm like, yeah, you need to talk about that sooner. I waited a lot longer to have kids. Uh, so we're a little older as parents goes, but God's been gracious to us and, and we've got a, a quiver that my, um, my wife said is, says is full right now. But I keep telling her that there's two more seats in the van. <laughs> but, ladies, she's quick to remind me that I do all the work. <laughs> and she does. She is a, she is a, uh, a fearless worker, and um, I praise God for her. She is not just the mother of our children and my wife, but my, she's my best friend. And um, that's grown and is growing, and I'm grateful to the Lord for that, and uh, ladies, you are precious to your men here, and I pray you will grow even more precious to them, and that will happen, guys, as you grow closer to the Lord, amen? amen. And so may God um, use us, may God work in our lives that we will die for our, li- our wives daily, and that you ladies will live for us, because we sure do need you. So um, thanks for having us here. I do appreciate the opportunity to have gotten to know some of, of the men and their wives uh, last night, and then hopefully more um, this afternoon, and um, I just have to tell you, as I said in the first service, um, a lot of these songs are so right up my alley. Um, God loved me first, and um, God demonstrated his own love towards Keith here, when while yet I was a sinner, Christ died for me, and um, he still is my Lord and Savior, even though Keith is still becoming like Christ. And, um, and I'm just grateful to be a child of God this morning. And um, I hope you all can say this morning that you are a blood-bought sinner. Have you been purchased this morning? Amen. Have you been washed? Are you as white as snow? If Christ were to come down right now, that second time that he promised to do, would he gather you into his arms? Would you be with him in heaven? Would you? I don't know if I need to pray, pour out another message or not. Maybe I need to. <laughs> but let me just say this, and I, I wanted to do this better this morning. If you are sitting here this morning, and Jesus Christ is not your personal Lord and Savior, then today's the day. Now, usually that happens at the end, Right? I may not have another opportunity to see you in my entire life, and if nothing more, I want to make sure this is very clear, that that God is a holy God. And I don't mean to be cruel or mean or harsh this morning, but not a single person in this room is good enough for God. His holiness separates him from all of us. But there's another great attribute of God called grace. We sang about it. 
and mercy and even wrath. That despite how bad we are, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Right? That's us. But the grace of God. And, and, and if you haven't come to the place where you realize that God is so perfect and you are so not and you are so because of that in trouble, because the trouble is that he has told you to be holy as I am holy and you and I are not that on our own. And you have broken every bit of his law even if you've broken one of them. And so you stand before a holy God and he says to you, why should I let you into my heaven? You say, well, I'm a good person. He says, well, have you, have you ever told a lie in your life? And you said, well, no, no, I, I was only a child when I said, said that lie, that little, that little white lie. And, and he says, guilty. He said, well, well, wait a minute. Well, okay, you want another shot? He says, have you ever stolen anything? You said you're a good person. Have you ever stolen anything? Well, when I was a wee boy, and that internet, internet stuff is free, and that office is not going to miss that pen, I deserved it. I worked there for so long. Guilty! And you stand before a holy and righteous God, even the smallest and the minutest of sins, and he says, you are guilty before me. Depart from me, I never knew you. But there's another scenario that can take place, and that is this, that, that when you stand before God Almighty at the end of your days, and he goes through the test and you say, fail, I fail, I fail. And if it's just limited to 10, you say, I'm guilty, God. But there's grace. For by grace we are saved through faith. And my faith is resting firmly in Christ. Is that you this morning? You say, yeah, yeah, I heard about God's holiness and my unholiness and the need for Jesus. Folks, that's... that's that's, that's the beginning of the good news, but the, the good news continues is that you surrender to that. Lord, you believe and you follow. Are you following? I did a sermon this week, preached a sermon at a funeral for a 90-year-old. Psalm 23. Ask yourself, are you following the shepherd? Don't let yourself get to the place where you're 90 years old and there's some question about who you're following. The evidence of God's grace in your life is the unshackled life from sin that follows Christ. The enemy knocks regularly if that's you, though. If that's you, you've made that decision. That you're believing and following Christ. He's a knocking at your door. And you better be aware this morning, as you probably are, from the beginning of time, even the beginning of people, God said, be careful, Cain, for Satan, he's knocking on the door. He's ready to pounce on you. Peter tells us in the, in the scriptures that, that, that Satan is, is like a roaring lion, not a fluff, fluffy pussycat. He wants to devour and consume and he, he wants to disrupt and change what God has started in our lives. And sometimes what's found out throughout the, the time, the times, the trials, the difficulties, the darkness of days, maybe it's that we weren't followers at all. I don't know where you're at today. 
I don't know what's going on in your life, but I want you today, right now, to know that you need Jesus and you need to believe in him and follow him. And will you do that right now? Believe in him? You don't even have to say a prayer. You just believe. You might want to, because that's a good thing too. But I just want to really promote the fact that if you're not in Christ today, you're lost and without hope. But be in Christ today by believing and following Christ and have hope. I want to turn with that idea kind of to stir you a little bit, but to turn your attention to Isaiah 7, and then I'm going to take you to Romans. Isaiah 7 is significant, and then, uh, because we're going to spend most of our time there, and then we're going to go into Romans 15 in just a moment, but as you're turning, I want to ask the Lord's blessing on our time in his word. You are the second service. And I'm a guest, but I'll try to be um, kind to you and keep an eye on the, the roasts and the reservations and hopefully a return visit. <laughs> Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. We can giggle and laugh and have a good time, and we can be grace, grace-filled because you have chosen an eternally past for us to be yours and to do good works. And we pray that that would be us. We'd be wanting to follow Christ, believing in our hearts who he is and what he's done for us. And so grateful for your great grace in our lives. And may we live like that each and every day, having been freed from sin, not wanting to return to it, but to live righteous lives for your name's sake and the good of others. We pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 1 begins this way. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Becca, the son of Remaliah, uh, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to attack, came to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. Now, some of you are thinking, why are we in Isaiah? And I will say again to you, as part of the congregation, as I did this morning, Bless your pea-picking hearts that you want to be in Isaiah on Sunday morning. <laughs> when Pastor Kyle said you're in Isaiah and he said you want to participate in, in this, I'm like, sure. I'm like, really? So I was like impressed. So um, way to go, Isaiah. But are you saying to yourself, why in the world are we in Isaiah? I mean, you read verse like that, verse 1, you're like, okay. How many of you think I pronounced those names right? How many of you think I didn't? How many of you have no idea? And how many of you don't care? Right. And so you might go, why why would we care to be in Isaiah 7-1? There's always a knock on the door. You better make sure that when you open that door, you've done it for the right word. Isaiah, we get, we get some, some reasons to look in Isaiah as we just give a little thought to this. God's word is written for a reason. This is not just like willy-nilly history, somebody in the pastoral staff just land on Isaiah. But this is, this is God's written word, and you can't go anywhere in the Bible and not find the significance for what we need for life and godliness, as Peter would tell us. In 2 Peter chapter 1. But I love what Paul says 
in, in Romans chapter 15. So turn to Romans 15, and I just want to use this to continue to set some tone for why we're here and the importance of God's word. 15, Romans 15, and by the way, as you're turning there, Romans, Romans is a book that you all must know. You must know Romans. Tell me you know Romans. Tell me you love Romans. How many of you, how many of you are memorizing Romans now? It is, it is a foundational book for Christian living. It helps you understand how it is that a sinner like you and me get into God's family. Romans. But God has has allowed us to have history behind us to help us today. And notice in 15 verse 4, Paul says, For whatever was written in former days, like the days of Isaiah, whatever was written back then, that, whole, that old book, was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have, say it with me, hope. Say it again, hope. I don't think I heard you. One, two, three, hope. Folks, we are a people who have a great amount of hope because God has revealed himself, especially through his word. And be instructed this morning that God wants you to be encouraged and he wants you to have hope. Folks, on this side, I don't know if you know this or not, but God has preserved his word for you to be encouraged and have hope. If you aren't perpetually wearing some sort of a smile on your face to let the world know who is on the inside, then please start doing that. Let the, let the crack on your smile open and the, let the light come out. We are a people of great hope. That's why we have this word. If we look at Isaiah 7, we're going to find some significant ways in which we can remain when the enemy comes a-knocking. Because the enemy has all kinds of resources. And sometime that resource appeals to you in your flesh. You know what? Our flesh needs to realize that, that we're living by faith in the person and work of Christ in this chapter. And I won't even scratch the proverbial surface of this reality. Christ is promoted as the hope and the deliverer of all nations. Read Isaiah to understand that God's got a plan for his people that will, that, will, that will build towards the blessing of all people in a day and for eternity. In a day, and everybody's got to come to the realization of their need for a Messiah in the day of the Old Testament and a need for Jesus in the new. And a need for Jesus Christ the Lord even in the tribulation. We're not going to be there. I just gave away some of my theology. So, in the promise of, of Jesus, we find reasons to read Isaiah. And it, and it just unfolds. Because you go from seven to eight. Profoundly enough, to nine, ten, eleven in Isaiah. And you see the unfolding of God's plan for man and the person and work of Christ, whose name is not yet revealed, but who he is and what he does is there. Jesus is not some surprise He's a plan. He's a person. 
He's our prize. We have much to praise God for his grace and mercy, and we're all in need of that grace and mercy. Anybody here wake up this morning with a little bit of need for grace and mercy? I, I, didn't, these, I didn't see these guys raising their hand over here. Anybody over here wake up in the need for some grace and mercy today? Okay. Folks, let me say something right now. I don't really look at myself as being interviewed or inspected by you so much. I just want to bless you. Please understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't just about you coming to faith and getting into The gospel of Jesus Christ is about you, yes, having a place reserved for you in heaven. You know, it's there. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is also for here. I'm sorry, I don't know. Did you all hear me over here? The gospel of Jesus Christ certainly is about getting there, but it's also about right here. Folks, we have God who wants to grow us in the likeness of Christ. Some serious grace and mercy. We have much to praise him for that promotes a tremendous amount of faith as we see how far he goes for us. I want you to see this. Note, oh, let me go back. Is there a back button on this? I got a little happy on my fingers. (laughs) Will you faithfully stand when the enemy knocks? Will Will you determine right now that when, whether it's your own flesh that picks up, whether Satan knocks at the door, and we got to be careful. You know, Satan's out there, but he can't be everywhere. Somebody say amen. amen. Satan's out there, but he can't be everywhere, and I'm so glad that God didn't enable that in him. But he has a lot of workers, a lot of ways. But we've got to decide to stand when we know what's right. Some of you might have heard that gospel presentation just a moment ago, and you're going to have to make some decisions, whether it's going to be you in charge or God. You're going to have to make that decision. And I want you to do that. And as we, as we consider this, I'm going to show you um, five fabulous truths that are going to be helpful. Just from this, it's observation. I, I can't say all that I want to in this um, section of Scripture. It, it's, it's worthy of your own study. And maybe I'll just get you wiggling a little bit, scratching a little bit, and hopefully you're, you're itch that scratch with your own study. But I want to show you f- five fabulous truths from this that are significant. I want to begin by, sh- by helping you to know that, that God's word, you need to know God's word to stand firm in those times uh, of testing and trials and everything. God's word is so, so important. It's the message of hope. It's the message of, of hope. See, emotions reveal really what we believe in the kind, type of relationship we have with God. Did you know that? How you respond to what's going on in your life really reveals who you are spiritually. Now, some of you probably don't like to hear that, do you? But it's true. Let me, let me show you. I just want to suggest from this that, that God is so good to send his word. Now, let me help you understand that there is, in verse 1, we're told that there is 
there is a, an army that's going to be forming outside of Jerusalem. And they've got a special message. You're done. It's an army. They're ready to take over. The message is given and the verses to follow. But it's a, it's a difficult time for them. They, they're, they're going to, to come against the city to take it. But they're not able to do so. And when the house of David, verse 2, follow along with me. When the house of David was told. Now, now keep in mind, whenever you see the house of David, what, you, what should come to your mind immediately is God's Davidic promise. God's covenant with the nation of Israel to always have David on the throne, who was ultimately a picture of Christ, Jesus our Lord. Yes? And so when you see that, there's a reason why that, because Judah, which is being addressed by Isaiah, has four kings, the three of which are addressed in the book are wicked, wicked men. And he's coming to them to bring them messages. He's coming to help them to see the direction they need to go. And so there is, there is this, this time in which there are evil leaders that are running Judah, the southern kingdom, made up of two of the tribes of Israel. The northern kingdom is made up of ten tribes. And it's the king, one of the kings, that's coming against Judah. Distant relatives. And Syria. Another powerhouse making up a league of nations to fight against the rising power of the east. Anybody know that power? Tiglat Pezar, and it is the Assyrians. All right? Now, how many of you are history buffs? I, I probably said way too much already. But the reality is, just know this. It's not a good time for Judah. And Judah has to make a decision. They're, they have an enemy made up of their, their cousins, their different, d- distant relatives in the north, and the Syrians, who say, look, you take sides with us, we'll form a league, we'll overthrow Assyria. If you don't, we're going to take you out and we're going to put up our own king. Now, the king, the king does not want to, to do that. The king of Judah is not interested in forming any type of relationship with them. And so Ahaz is going to seek comfort, protection, and help not from above. And that's why Isaiah is confronting him. He is three generation deep king who is ignoring God. And let me just tell you that despite that reality and his wickedness, just how wicked is he? Just how wicked is he? He's so wicked that he would kill his own children on an altar. That's wicked, folks. The very ones that God would want to be be taught God in their comings and goings are being killed.
in the absence of worshiping God. He's a wicked, wicked man. And yet, God brings his word. You should be saying to yourself right now, wow, God is gracious. God is merciful. The first six chapters of Isaiah is addressing the people. Now it's the politicians. Now it's the king. And he should have, by his righteousness, if you will, wiped him out a long time ago. But God is a full and balanced God that he operates on the full capacity of, of all of his nature and all of his character. And he still loves these people enough to send word, a message from Isaiah. He sends his top dog out to speak to them. Again, you should be saying, wow. And they needed to be, hear from God because they weren't doing well. If you notice in verse 2, when the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, that would be euphemism or, or a name for, for the northern kingdom, Ephraim. The heart of Ahaz, that's the king of Judah, and the heart of, the, of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. What that reveals to you and to me is that these people were dog scared. I have a golden retriever. Anybody have a golden retriever? She's more of a scaredy cat than a mighty dog. And that wind blows, she's frightened, and when the criminals come, she hides behind us. But when, when she's scared, her whole body moves. She's just frightened. But you know, that's how we get too. It's interesting, though, our dog, I think if we had a burglar, she would run behind us. Why? Because she knows that we like her. Right? Dog lovers, cat lovers, gerbil lovers, fish lovers, whatever your flavor is, we take care of our pets. But, but the point is, what needed to happen at this time when the hearts of the people were, were, were quivering, were quaking, were scared? The future was uncertain. What they needed to do was look up, didn't they? But if you read through Isaiah, what you find in all the Old Testament, so many times the people did not do that. And folks, before you pick up that stone to throw at the nation of Israel, the north or the south, or when they were together, and you want to throw that at them and say, oh, you're so bad. God sent his word so much. He talked to you so much through prophets. Be very careful that you don't do that because how many times is it when you have the enemy knocking at your door, do you open up God's word? Do you get on your knees and say, oh, God, help me? I can tell you right now, folks, it's a real shame that the church is saying, oh, I don't want my pastor to know me. Why is it that doctors and physicians who write prescriptions and hound out medications know the people of the church more than the people know their pastor and the pastor of their people? That is one example of how it is the church has forgotten the word and the comfort from there and shows a weak and, and, and soft and quaking heart. Because life is full of trouble. Life is full of difficulty. Anybody have a difficult week this week? 
Anybody hurt? Anybody hurting? Anybody's body just not wa- acting the way, the way they want it to? <laughs> Can't pull those thoughts out? Can't understand why your children who are raised in the church just aren't in love with Jesus like you are? Well, how it is you could give your all of your 25 years to this company and they close the doors or they just plain boot you to keep the margin where it needs to be? She, he left you. You didn't get the desired job, the place in school. Life sometimes is a bit hard, but we've got to listen. God would want to use the difficulties, the dark days, the frustrations, the absence of a loved one we had in our, in our arms for so many years. He'd want to use that for his glory and your good. And you say, no, that's not my desire. That's not the point. Because our desires is not always what God uses to bring about his will. And here's the thing. God's word addresses the heart when it's weak and struggling. And can I just tell you on a footnote? You know your best friend? You know who she is and who he is? It's not based upon age or likeness of hobbies. It's based upon this. Will they know you by listening to you? Will they help you by speaking redemptive truth into your life? And will they pray with you through those times and when necessary pick you up? That's a friend. You can go to the driving range, shooting range, whatever range you wanted to go to, but if they won't go the long range with you, then they're no friends. God knew where these people were at. God knows where you're at. And he has written the eternal word of God to address every one of those times in your life. Yes? And if you and I don't make a decision right now that this is what's going to lead my life, change my life, keep my life constant, we're going to be in trouble. But God was so, God is so gracious here in this account about sending his word again and again and again. And guess what, folks? Again and again and again. I wish God would just tell me. I wish God would just write it in the sky. I hear that so much. He wrote it in a book. When I was a teen, do we teens here? Any teenagers here? Any teens here today in this place? Okay. Um, anybody um, a school ager? So like under teen, like like five to I don't know what our ages are in here right now. We have some little ones over here. Okay. Okay. So when I was growing up in your age and in your age, I was told this. This is what I was told. Read your Bible. Go to church. Pray and hang out with people who do the same thing. I said, really? Best piece of advice I ever got. Because within that comes growth and development, desire to obey what God has said, and people who help me do it. God sends, sends people your way with His word He's preserved forever to help you go in the direction you're to go. 
And, and that's, what, that's what the nation was getting right now through Isaiah. He knew where they at, where they at what they needed. He didn't want to just keep them there, though. He, he wanted them, if you're going to stand tall, you've got to know not just his word, but what his will is for your life through that word. You can't just memorize verses. You can't get just through the 10 minutes with God or the chapter a day. Do that, but understand what it is that God wills in that. If you're going to get through the difficult times, you have to know the fabulous truth of his will. You have to know it, and you have to, you have to spend time in it. And so what we find here is that God addresses their emotion. Difficult times bring about emotion. And we can be sad and sorrowful even having trusted in God, certainly. Don't get me wrong in this, all right? If, you, if you're like, if you're experiencing a, a death in your family, uh, someone as close has let you down, there's sorrow and sadness. But you're stable in that you understand who God is. And you're not being pushed around, tossed about, as James would say in James 1. And the Lord said to Isaiah, look at verse 3. Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Sherezabah. Sherajah, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. So what, what Isaiah is doing is taking the word of the Lord to him, and he's telling them that they need to be fearless, fearless in their following. And, and, and so when you look at God addressing specific things in here, he says, first thing he says to Ahaz is he says, he says this. <laughs> Isn't it interesting how much we need to say this to, to our, ourselves? He says, be careful. Be careful. What that is is, is watch what you do next. What he's about to do is to make, make a deal with Assyria to help overcome the people who are knocking on his door. They wouldn't be promoting godliness by any means. Why don't we get rid of David's, God's man David on the throne, which, which would be the case. And he would want to um, just interrupt everything. They'd want to interrupt everything. And so he's like, you got to be careful what you're going to do. And ultimately what he's going to say is you need to rely upon me and not some earthly power, not some other plan in your own mind. It's interesting. Where does Isaiah meet Ahaz? Where does he meet him? He meets him at the upper northern place of Jerusalem. It would be the place, it's called the washer's field there. I do wonder if there's some irony there to some extent or not, like when the nation of Israel would, would come across those who were foreign and they didn't really like them and they had different ways of living, they would shake off the dust before they got back into the city. They didn't want to pollute the city with what they came into contact with. I almost wonder to some extent is you don't have to worry about washing out your garments from the people who will be knocking on your door because I've got you. Now that's just my own little thinking in that, but it's interesting. No matter what, it is the place where an enemy would stage a siege. And so what Ahaz is likely doing is he's, he's checking to see, is it secure? Is it safe here? Not a bad thing to do, unless you've ignored God, what they have been doing. 
They were fearful because they were trusting in their own strength and might. So be careful, Ahaz, to rest in the strength of another and not me. Be careful about that. Folks, be careful about your own plans. Be careful to align them with God's will. Know what God's word says when you read it and be careful to do it. You need to be fearless in that. Fear's fate rests in faithfulness. If you want fear that's unhealthy and unbiblical to leave you, then you need to become more faithful with what God's word has said and the specifics of it, knowing his will and do it. You don't need to be fearful when God speaks. You can be careful to do it. Be careful. Be quiet. Oh, boy, do we need that one today. And he would need that. And making a treaty and alliance and and ordering things. He would need to be quiet and listen to the word that Isaiah was bringing. And everything from the past that he knew about God. Folks, do yourself a favor. Remember what you were told yesterday about God. And build upon it tomorrow. And and so he is needing to be quiet and listen. You know, a real good good practice is is always to, to, to wait. Learn the art of waiting. That's not always an activity. That's praying, searching God's will, waiting to see. And so, so wait. Be careful. And that's involved in, in being quiet. Do not make allegiances or foolish statements. But ultimately, he gets to his emotion. Isn't it interesting? God says, don't fear. Oh, yeah, that's easy. Don't fear. Has anybody ever told you that? It's a, it, don't worry. And they might even say, be happy. And you're like, oh, really? <laughs> don't, don't worry, be happy. I'm not happy. That's insulting me in the crisis that I'm in right now. Don't do that to somebody. Don't ignore where somebody is right now, even if it's a wrong place. But, a, but address them from God's word. This is God speaking. And we realize that this was a tough scenario. And the need, though, is God does command us not to fear. And only God can do that as we find our emotions arrested by what God has said in his word. And he needed to understand that. And, and, we're, and, and the basis for that would be coming here as we're getting. But the will of God is for his people not to be fearful but faithful. Faith will allow fear to flee. When the object of your faith is greater than the object of your fear, you are a champion in Christ. God would have to be their deliverer. and God has to continue to be our deliverer. Notice well that, that not only is he to, to, to be careful, quiet, and, and not to fear, he's not to let his heart be faint because of these enemies. The heart. What is the heart? It's the control center of who you are. It's what makes you march. It's what makes you get up in the day. It's what makes you overcome the snooze button. The heart is your control center. The, that's, that's the direction of God's word, always to hit the heart. When the heart is the target of the message for humanity, 
for your friend, for your spouse, for your children, then you prepare them to be faithful, not fearful. The heart is always the target. It will lead a person in doing what is either godly or ungodly. Who owns the heart? God is saying, my word needs to be heard and it needs to address your will. Because it is my will that you need to have. And so, know this. No, thirdly, know this. God's wrath. What's interesting here is, I can tell you, Ahaz, says God, I can tell you, don't fear. Don't have a, a shaking heart. Don't, don't be thinking that you don't know what to do next. I'm going to help you. And so, so what he says is, I'm going to help you first and foremost by understanding that these enemies that are at your door are defeated already. They're, they're like the timbers in the fire after it's put out. They're still smoldering. Smoke's going up, but there's no flames. They've done their damage. They're done. That's what the message is. They're done. It's not yet happened that they're done, but they're done. Trust me. 65 years, and they're not even going to be in existence. And we see that in history. Can't take the time to go into that, but you see, 65 years is not foolishness. It is a reality in time. It's a God's promise of what he's going to do with these enemies who are being driven by Satan and their own selfishness to go against God's plan despite the waywardness of this southern Judean king, kingdom and king. And so he's saying you can, you can understand my will by understanding that I am one who is wrathful. I am going to take care of my enemies. Get this, folks. God has a plan for his people, not based upon how good they are. God's plan is not based upon how well you follow Christ. God's plan is not going to be interrupted based upon how successful you are as living the Christian life. When God decides to do something, when his word is spoken, when his will is revealed, you can be sure that it is infallible. Nothing will stand in the way of it being accomplished. Even a wicked king, aren't you glad? And not even a lowly servant can interrupt the plans of God. I love that because that tells me that despite how bad I am, God's going to be good. And so God's wrath is there and he, he all the way through the, the remainder of this little section here saying that there are not going to be any more even though in verse 5 they devise evil against you saying let's go up against Judah and terrify it and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of, uh, of Tobiel as king in the midst of it thus says the Lord God this, are you ready? this is good stuff it shall not stand. Now again, what you have to understand, this is God's word on what's about to happen, but also realize that, that what won't stand is God's plan for the king for King David's throne to be empty. Not going to happen. There's always going to be a king either on the throne or ready to be established. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is risen. Just basically, their dependence and interdependence is not anything that they can count on because I have chosen otherwise. And so there is going to be the, the wrath and the vengeance 
of the Lord. And this is just something we've always got to keep in mind. No matter how loud the knock is, no matter how, how much the disgruntledness is, that the wicked, no matter how long their day is, it is determined in advance by God. The way of the wicked will what? That was good on this side. The way of the wicked will perish. perish. I mean, do you have that understood in your life that, you know, God's word is there. His will is going to have, there's going to be wrath that's going to be there and the wicked will not survive. This is Psalm 1. I mean, this is the psalm that we all know a lot. This is verse 6. What does it say before that? That he who's planted by the waters, his leaf will not fall, it will not fade, right? And so the, keep yourself in understanding that I am going, I'm going to establish the one who trusts in me. That will happen. Know that. Know God's work will be fulfilled. Know it. For sure, God is sovereign over all. God is sovereign, sovereign over all. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken to pieces so that it will no longer be a people. Not going to be there. Folks, I'd like to liken this to real simple things. Okay, I'm a simple-minded man. I apologize in advance. Listen. How many of you are saved by grace? Through faith? All right. Not by works, right? So that you can't boast and you can't boast. But what does verse 10 say in Ephesians 2? What's it say? Somebody get their Bible. What? He's created you. For what? We are his workmanship, created for good works since when? Foundation of the world. What God has planned, he will accomplish. It's already decided in the past. The question is, are you involved? Are you involved? Am I involved? Hey, are you going to be involved or not? God's going to accomplish his deal. Do you want to be a part of it? Many other plans in the man, the mind of a man, but it's the purpose of the Lord. Those purposes of the Lord, they will stand. Are you assured of that today? When the heat's turned up, when life isn't good, when there seems to be a lot of chaos going on, will you stop whatever you've been practicing and turn to the Lord? Ahaz had great grace of God offered to him. I would imagine that, that he knew a lot about God, but ignored it. And maybe that's you here today. How much have you heard about God? I mean, I likely hear some of you grew up in this church. Maybe you were delivered here. You heard God, about God your whole life. But are you involved in his sovereign plan? Do you see yourself as being a part of what he wants accomplished? Has he set you apart for those good works? I don't know about you, but that's exciting. No Christian should ever say that they're unemployed. That they don't have anything to do. That they're bored. Really? Ahaz was 
trying to have his own kingdom his way, find protection in another place. And I would bet that that's many of us today. We're building our own kingdom, and we're going to do it our way. Folks, life isn't like Burger King. You can't have it your way. God is sovereign. Plug into that. Find fulfillment in what he has planned for you. King Ahaz had to get back to the basic and remember who he was and what God wanted for him and the nation. He had to remember that. God's sovereign will was not for Ahaz to be king, just simply king, but king of God's people and rule according to God's ways. It was a sovereign plan. It's interesting. He says, they're not going to win. They're not going to take it over. Believe you me. But, just so that you understand that I want you to get this, Ahaz, and the people of Judah, here's the opportunity I'm going to give you. Ask anything. I want you to see what I'm saying. Ask for a sign. Look at your text there. As we read and we see, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. This is verse 10. Verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. And God's saying, sky's the limit. Now, I just want you to understand this. As we have to be careful with Old Testament passages to find application everywhere. God is not saying to the church today, ask God to prove himself. That's not what this is saying. Gideon gotten, should have gotten more trouble, right, for that? But God blessed him anyways. People who have asked for signs um, without the permission of God uh, are showing faithlessness. But God is saying, I know that you're faithless. So I want you to have an opportunity to see through your eyes what I'm saying. So you just decide what it is you want to see and I'll do it. And God said, said, you know, so go go high or low, whatever it is, in heaven or on earth, whatever. Sky's the limit. But what did Ahaz say? I will not ask and it will not be put, I will not put the Lord to the test. And you might say, well, that sounds pretty pious. He's just going to take God at his word. But that's not the case. He's condemned, and a friend of mine reminded me recently, if, it, if, it, if you don't understand what's being said, just keep reading. If, you, if you're quandary or quandary, if it's good or bad, just keep reading. We find out as we keep reading. Then when you look here, we, we find that um, he says, God says, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men? that you weary my God also. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Okay, you're not, you're not gonna ask and you're gonna like continue my patience. You're gonna weary me. It's enough that you do it with your own people and everybody else. So guess what? You're not gonna ask for deliverance, but I'm gonna give it to you anyways. Despite your spite, I'm going to bless you. And what he does is he speaks in to them the promise of deliverance. But it's a different king in a different day. 
but it has an effect for all eternity. And it should have, though, set these people on a different course, but it does not. But it has for our lives, yes? Because what we have here is the promise of deliverance that comes. He says to them, I will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds of honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land will, whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day of Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. What he says is, is I'm going to be with you. His name shall be called Emmanuel. God is promising these wicked people who wouldn't change their ways, despite you, I'm going to bring a different king who will do as I said and be as I want him to be. And Jesus is introduced. And Jesus is explained to be the king who this king would be. And his description even is found in chapter 9. This king, verse 6, a child is born. To us the son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful. Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Ahaz would not put his faith in God's word. He put it in a foreign power, Assyria. And both the north and the south would be overrun and overcome. But yet, a king is still promised. A savior is still promised. King Jesus. And the kingdom that he's going to establish is one that we anticipate. We are anticipating that kingdom, yes? We are looking forward to God's way. The infallible word speaks. He will bring to pass. Part has been done. He was born Emmanuel, God with us. He will come again, God with us, and he will have vengeance, victory. And we will be his people, and he will be our God. And we will submit finally and forever to everything that he says in his rule and his reign. God's way is infallible. The word speaks. It will be accomplished. Believe. If you're going to believe what his word says, look. Look back and see what he's accomplished in the birth of Christ, the finished work of Calvary. See the significance of our Savior, the King who's yet to come. The kingdom that's yet to be established that will never have an end. And believe, allowing that to set your course in days where that's not yet established. 
But be sure that he's ruling and reigning in your heartland right now. Is Jesus king of your life? Is he ruling there? Are you allowing other things to interfere with the word of the Lord in your life, the direction of your life? Don't do that. God's God's word, his, his will, needs to be understood. Understand that there's, there's a way that he wants us to go and live according to those ways for hope and help and encouragement every day, despite what you might go through. The knocking at the enemy of your door, whatever it is, know his word and his plan, especially as is yet to be established. It is hope and help in days of difficulty. Let's pray together. Our Father, there is so much to be said from Isaiah and the significance of your word. And we thank you, Father, that you have written these things down. We might learn a little bit about the failures of, of, of this king and the people. And I pray, Father, that we would be a people who are just really desiring to know what you've said, your will for our lives and for your good and perfect purposes. And I pray that we would always be established by the reality of, of King Jesus in our lives, having accomplished everything necessary to come back to rule and to reign forever and ever. We pray in his precious name.